Hey, um, about three weeks ago, yeah, the young adults brought a, a word at the Brick Breakfast Sunday. And um, I want to reiterate what Kirk said to us all about two weeks ago. We are so blessed to have these guys in, in our church um, and part of the Vineyard family. They really did uh, knock it out of the park uh, um, two weeks ago with their message. If you haven't got online, I want to encourage you to uh, and go and have a listen uh, to what they said. It wasn't one speaker. That's why I'm saying they. There was a group of them that got together. And, um, and put together the, the, the service and how it would operate and run and what they would like to see. And they just did a phenomenal job uh, together on that. But what was, um, apart from, because Belinda and I lead a portion of our young adults group at, at, a, at a kinship, and, and what I think excited us uh, um, so much about that is not just how they work together, which was amazing to, to um, watch that all unfold, but was that I, I believe they released a word over our church. Um, I don't know if you've picked it up yet or not, or if you've been watching for it, but this, uh, this theme and idea of remembering the goodness of God, I, I really believe that it's a word for, in this season for us as a church. And if you're wondering uh, how, what I'm basing that off, well, after they brought that word, the ministry time was awesome. So many people were commenting afterwards about what the Lord was doing in and amongst that. Subsequent to that, um, Kirk and Nick came up the next week and said, hey, we were all over it and they came and spoke about it. So we want to talk about some of our own journey of the Holy Spirit working in and on and through us. And uh, they brought some of their testimony of remembering. Do you, do you, were you here a couple of weeks ago? Do you, am I bringing it all back to, am I causing you to remember, as Bo said, bringing all the pieces of the mind back together? It's all starting to, to flow. And then, um, and then last week we had a, um, a service where we actually remembered where we've been as a church to look forward and, and, and the new layout and the new logo. And we celebrated the things that God had done in the past as we looked at some of those things. And I don't doubt many of you, as you saw certain images up on the, on the board, if you've been here for a while, you started to remember the stories of God and the faithfulness of God as you saw the images up on the board. And then even, in, I haven't got this in my notes, but even then this morning, Simone, she didn't know what I was speaking about this morning. And the worship team, they get up and we will not forget, Lord. We won't forget. And you are good. We were singing those words. We, those very words were coming out in and through worship. And then prophetic word, the word of knowledge, sorry, afterwards was just great. Just fantastic. And God is trying to get our attention around remembering his goodness in this season. So I'm going to do my best to follow on from that. And uh, give us more um, time uh, to, to talk about and think about remembering the goodness of God in our lives. Why? Well, bottom line for me and for this morning, and um, interesting that Corey said after worship, hey, could you jump off your apps if you got straight on uh, after worship? Really interesting that you said that. I actually thought, that's you, Lord, um, when you did say that. Because we live in a time where consumerism reigns. That's why I think we, this is, so where I'm going today, remembering the goodness of God, because the time we live in is a consumeristic age. We consume time now down to the second. Our devices are becoming per, more and more smaller and more personalized as time goes on. We're even told now that we've been sitting for too long and you need to stand up. 
Our watch is telling us that. That's how, how much we, um, we, be, we need to be uh, managed and our time is being managed. We consume resources at a rate that are far greater than any time in history. We consume life events now. We move from event to event, moment to moment, consuming it. We have this mindset now, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? We're so fast to want to move on to that next thing. And we don't often take time to stop and to reflect, to take stock of where we're up to and where we're going. Our... um, <laughs> our sports fans, if you're anything like me, and after last night, in, around October, mid-October, we go crazy. Grand finals are done. All the the cricket's not on yet. The the, the sporting events just gonna plateau right down, and we can't consume those events. <laughs> no, Andrew, I'm not gonna acknowledge what you're doing right now. <laughs> so. We turned to Foxtel so we could consume other country sports at the time when our sports all stop. Or we're forced, if you want to, to watch cars going round and round and round on the circuit about mid-October, if you like that. Sorry, Ash. Sorry, Vaughan. That's not very fair, is it? No. But we do consume. Um, movies and TV shows now, they're, they're no longer those big events that take a long time to come out. Now Netflix and Stan will produce an entire series and drop it on you in one go at such a rapid rate, asking you, always giving you an option to, for more and more and more and keep watching. And, and here's a new one and here's another one and here's another one you can watch. Um, we consume them at a scary pace. Do you know in 2016, games, think about games. Think about when you were a kid and what you did with games. Some of you, that's a little closer than than others. Might have been board games that you used and you played with. Might have been two sticks. Not calling anybody old here, not pointing. I'm not looking at this. I look up as I talk about anybody who might have played with two sticks and pretended they were swords. That That was your games. In May 2016, it was predicted... 21,000 gaming apps were released onto the Apple Store. That's two years ago. I wouldn't even want to think about what that might be now in terms of what was released. That's just gaming apps, not a lot other apps that can be released as well. All giving us options to consume, to continually consume them. Now, I'm not here to judge. I'm not saying they're all bad. Don't hear me saying that. What I am here to say is our world continues to develop ways to keep us consuming life events with with things that in the end don't matter. They actually don't matter in the end, lots of those things. If we really honestly stop and think about that, the majority of them don't add a great deal of value to who we are to the depth of who we are, to our soul, to the very core of our being. Now, again, they're fun and there's a place for them and all that. What I'm, what I'm talking about is how they control us if we let them in that place. So are we all good? I'm not judging. Are we hearing that? I'm just saying if we allow it to, they will just direct us. We'll become so superficial, so surface-level people that there won't be a depth to us because we just want to consume all the time, moment to moment, the thing after thing, whatever it might be, we want to consume them. So what does matter? You do. You matter. 
And God matters if we're a Christian. God really matters if we're a Christian. And he matters more, infinitely more than anything that, we could, that could come at us and try to draw us uh, into the circumstances where all we want to do is consume. He matters so much more than those things. It is always and has been, I preach it here so much, it's about our relationship with him. That's what really matters. So as today as I preach about remembering your story in Jesus again, I want to give two people the opportunity. To, to, we're here now. There's nothing going on. You can choose to put your phones down, as Corey said. And I want to give you the time now to actually take a moment to take stock and to remember your story. Is there two people that would like to do that this morning? Now, I'm not going to be as mean as Bo. I, am going to, you can, I know you can see there's two stations set up, so it's not hard if you put two and two together to figure out what might be going on. The two people want to come and tell of a story of the greatness of God in their life, your salvation, a moment where he just broke in. Would two... Do, Two people? No. I'll give you a heads up. I'm not going to smash your model that you build up the front like Bo did, all right? I'm not going to be cruel. Jess is still getting ministry after three weeks of Bo just smashing her memory all over the floor. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put you to the test, all right? You're not going to be tested here. It's just you telling your story. I'm just going to give you a tool to help you do it. Two people, come on. There has got to be stories. Come on, mate. Great. Craig, anybody else? Yeah? Come on, Nikki. Yes, Nikki Brown. All right. Welcome these guys. Thank them because you're all off the hook now because they did it. <laughs> I would call you soft, except for I, I, I can understand you might be a little afraid of all the Lego sitting up the, the front here. Okay. So, guys, I want to give you the opportunity today. I'm going to keep preaching to everybody, but you have the opportunity. There's Lego in front of you. I simply want you to build a model that re represents a significant time where God acted or broke into your life. So it's a metaphor. It's, a, it's something you can build that you can just talk to. After I finish preaching, I might get you just to quickly, if you're comfortable with it, tell people what you actually built. Is that okay? Can you do that? So you actually get to play while I preach, and they have to listen to me now. So I don't know who gets the better deal on the end of that. Now, there's a big board that's beside you. If you want to use it, you can build on the board. It's up to, totally up to you guys how you want to do it. And if you run out of room, ask somebody else, give them the nod and say, can you give me another table because I've got no room. We need, can we get two more coffee tables up here, please? <laughs> well planned and thought out. All right. Keep an eye on the time, Corey. It's all good. Uh, am I really? Okay. I'm on a stopwatch, apparently, everybody, so we'll see how I go. Um, you're excused. So, the book of the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the Bible amazing letter of encouragement to a group of Jewish believers. We know they're Jewish because the letter contains so much specific reference uh, to the Jewish culture that it, it, we, we believe it is, um, is written to them because they would identify with it. The writer, the, the Hebrew book is a, is, a, um, is a really interesting book because often uh, there's uh, little personal bits and pieces and, and letters are broken into subcategories. Hebrews itself is really this, this long argument 
It's, it's this long argument by the writer. And I say the writer because we're not sure if it's Paul. We don't know. So I'm just going to continue to reference the Hebrew writer uh, today. But it's this long sustained argument and encouragement. Uh, to, not an argument towards people, but an argument for what they need to be doing and how to encourage them to keep going in, in life. And um, he's asking them to persevere in their faith and not give up. Don't give up whatever's presented in front of you. Keep going and persevere in your faith. It is done, and you've got to hear this clearly, it is done through the argument. I'm going to put it in simple terms, but the depth of what the writer goes into is amazing. It is done from the terms of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That is the core message to the people um, who are reading the writing, the, the Hebrew letter, the supremacy of Jesus, of what he did, of who he was, and now uh, ultimate triumph over sin and death. And now the people can continue to persevere in their faith because of what he did and who he was. That's a very simple term to what is an amazingly um, deep book. But in the chapters 11 and 12, and you might want to turn there if you want, just to kind of peruse 11, um, but we will read a little bit of chapter 12 in just a moment. It's not going to be on the screen, so I, if you haven't got your Bible, lean over with somebody and, um, and have a look uh, on their phone. I'm actually going to read it from the message, so apologies if you have another version this morning. I love what it says. Um, but in chapter 11 of Hebrews, as he, remember the context, encouragement, supremacy of Jesus and encouragement for people to keep pushing on, to persevere in their faith. And we have the famous statement of faith is being sure of what we hope for or certain we do not see at the start of chapter 11. And then he breaks out into this amazing liturgy of the people that have gone before them. Do you remember? Where he starts talking about um, Moses and the Israelites going through the Red Sea and Rahab um, letting the spies out of the wall and um, who else have we got in there? Isaiah, Jacob's in there, Joseph's in there, Moses is in there. Who is? Abraham, of course. Oh, Scott. Um, they're all, all, Sarah is in there as well. Joseph, yeah, got Joseph. Anyway, long list of all these heroes of the faith that he lists in there. And he's calling the people to say, you're not alone. People have been there before in terms of journeying with God and remaining faithful to him. And, and he's encouraging them to say, keep persevering. But what we can get caught in when we read that list is he's saying, oh, look at these great people and pointing to these great people of the faith. And he's doing it to a degree. But what I think he's trying to do, if you remember the context of where the people are at, he's trying to say to them, look at what these people did in their present circumstances when they were under um, pressure and, under, and in persecution or struggling or the nation was under, under slavery or, and being released. All, all of those circumstances that were going on, the people just did what they needed to, what was in front of them in following the Lord and believing the Lord for who he was in that moment. That's what I think he's trying to get across to them. Yes, they were heroes of the faith, and he was trying to remind them of that, of how, how great the acts were that God did. But he's doing it in the sense of these were just normal people who made a choice to go about following and persevering when persecution came. And he's saying, remember, remember, they came out the other side, and so can you. All good? Yeah? So then he breaks out in chapter 12, and we're going to read a little bit of this 
So I'm going to read down to just about um, verse 11. Let's, let's do that together. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. I love that. I love that statement. Study how he did it. We read the scriptures and we want, to, we want to kind of apply it to our life, but do we get into circumstances and do we actually go, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of my faith. I'm going to go look for how he responded in a circumstance similar to mine. Study how he did it. It's like the, we're disciples, right? Disciples of Jesus. What did, so in modern terms, we might look at an apprenticeship is more in a, a kind of a, a maybe, I like it, at a closer a level and as an apprentice. So what do apprentices do? What does a sparky do when they're an apprentice? They watch. They watch. They get alongside the master. The, the master. So there you go, Vaughan, next time you get an apprentice, mate, make sure they call you master. <laughs> so they should say it's Corey. Um, but they watch. They learn and they watch, and then, then they do it with the master. And then eventually when they're out on their own, what do they do when they get into a situation and they need to apply their knowledge? They remember. They remember. If I need, I've got this problem in this situation, what did, what did the guy I learned off do? What did he do? That's right. I remember he did this. And they call the memory back and then they act. They move on based on what actually happened. That's what we do and that's what the writer is saying. Remember Jesus. Remember what he did. Not, it is all about the cross and conquering death. Absolutely. Starting point. Rock right there. Everything changed for us after that. But then look at how he negotiated persecution, shame, all of that an entire nation coming at him at one stage. So when we think that we can't handle what we're going through, think about that one, everybody chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Pretty bad situation. But remember Jesus. Study him. Because he never lost... I'm continuing reading now. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honour right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. Listen to that. That's amazing. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith... Go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he ploughed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. How good is that? That will shoot adrenaline. I'm like, I need to do this fist pump. <laughs> That'll shoot adrenaline into your souls. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you. To say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? And we'll stop there. There's some pretty raw language in there, isn't there? It's, I love it. It's great about what's available to us and what we should do when we get into circumstances of life. But in and through that, what I hear him saying is, remember, 
Keep remembering. Call it back. Why? Because God is good and he's faithful. Look what he did through Jesus. Look what he did through Jesus. Look what Jesus went through and he got the other side. He's faithful. Remember his goodness. Remember his goodness to you. Remembering is such a powerful tool in the life of a disciple of Jesus. So I want to really encourage you. Why do we always want to continue to remember the story of Jesus first and foremost about Jesus? It's because as heaps and heaps of people have also preached about over the last while, it raises hope. It builds hope in us that the present circumstance won't stay, won't change, that we will have victory over it, that God will be faithful to us and remain with us and we will see the other side and we will not die. We can have victory over our present circumstances. Faith then increases. My goodness, this is, look at this, this Lego's going well, it's great. I will put it on video so you can see it soon, it's all right. So the Hebrew writer also asks us to remember those who have gone before us and encourage that we are not alone. I often look at the Israelites. Do you remember a few weeks ago when the Yads talked about the Israelites, they reminded us of how quickly they forgot. That's the opposite of remember. It's forgetting, is to forget. And um, I often have, when I was younger, I used to... I used to look at them and I'd go, oh, Israel, how, how could you do that? Honestly, how, seriously, the miracles, they are out of this world kind of miracles to get you out of that nation and to save you. I mean, the, the ten plagues, the deaths of the firstborn, the frogs, the gnats, the, the river turning to red, the list goes on and on. The parting of the Red Sea. Israel, how, how could you forget so quickly when you got into the desert and you're at Mount Sinai? Moses has gone up, the presence of the Lord is rumbling and going off, and yet you still went, oh, we're in trouble, we should go back to Egypt, or maybe a golden calf that just kind of formed out of the fire might be able to help us. That's our God that released us out of Egypt. They, they, they forgot. I'm like, oh, how did you forget so quickly? And as an older man now, I often take time to stop and reflect. And then I think about how I respond to my own Egypts um, or the impassable Dead Sea. Whenever I've needed finances, be it personally or for the church, can I say that I approach that with a sense of peace in my heart about God being my provider, remembering the years of living as a missionary in the USA with Belinda, and we let, never lack for anything, not a thing. Maybe I didn't approach, often have approached that, and I, I've, honestly, I kind of freak out at times. It just As soon as the moment happens, I just freak out before anything else, and then start responding emotionally and physically, uh, sometimes getting sick in, in the midst of that. Or stuff breaking around the house at just the wrong time. It always happens at just the wrong time, doesn't it, when stuff breaks around the house. Yeah, I might have got a little worked up and irritable towards my family and got a little cranky uh, with them in those circumstances, forgetting the countless times of God breaking in at just the right time to kind of sort all that kind of stuff out. I I forgot. I forgot and I started reacting out of the present circumstance right in front of me. 
Or I've been in circumstances where I've applied for jobs in a very competitive and cutthroat environment. When I first applied for my job, I'm remembering my stories now. See, as I preach, it's all coming back. When I first applied for my current job, I applied with over 750 other people. And they took about 75, so 10% of that. And I got in. It was a miracle that I got into that job. I had no... no, um, no um, credentials as such to, to get that job and yet, yet they took me on. And then out of other times when I've been applying for other positions within the same organisation, start freaking out because in this cutthroat environment everybody starts worrying about positions and getting anxious towards each other and all the niggling that goes on and there are times I've joined it and I've gone, hang on a minute and I've forgotten I've forgotten there was a miracle I even got into the job in the first place and that God would continue to provide for me. And I suddenly go, oh, Israel, maybe I'm right alongside you and might be journeying on the same journey that you did uh, with me. We, um, we're all the same kind of people. My point is, if we do remember the goodness of God, it shifts our approach and the foundation that we build our life and the circumstances, how we approach the circumstances. The problem is in this society, as we talked about, where we're consuming moment by moment, is we don't stop. We don't stop to take time and remember the goodness of God. So how do we do it then? How do we remember? It's great. We say remember the goodness of God. So what can we do in our lives to actually help us remember? Well, I want to give you a few practical things that I think if we begin to, if, if you're doing them, praise God. This is awesome. If there's um, some things to begin, even better, praise God uh, for this. But corporately, do you know some of the things that we do corporately that we might remember the goodness of God? What might some of those things do that we do on a regular basis? Communion? Somebody say communion? Yes. Great. Absolutely. That's a pretty good one. Did you say one, Neil? Worship. Oh, worship. <laughs> That's a pretty darn good one. What else? Pray? Corporately? Come to church? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What about, I don't want to say small groups. What about, I'll say rituals, but that might cause, um, if you get worried about, it's all right, I'm not talking religious spirit or anything like that here. I'm just talking, what do we do regularly on a regular basis where we remember the goodness of God? Say grace, yes. Offerings. Do you? What about Easter? Christmas? Yeah, yeah. Those big events, they're... they're, they're, they're Regular events, I won't say rituals in case it stirs you up a little bit. They're regular events that we do all the time to remember the goodness of God towards us. Um, we, the sausage sizzle. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> but we're also in the time of our mercy appeal, uh, our Thanksgiving. And we're in a very time of, of the month where we do it on a regular basis. This time of month we have, our, we have a Thanksgiving month. And we remember the goodness of God to us and we respond out of that uh, to him. Those things go on. But then there's some, some individual things that we can do that help us remember. They create a place to actually help us remember to stop and to understand that if we don't have some things in our life, we won't die. <laughs> 
Because honestly, sometimes the, the anxiousness we feel when we give things up, it's like, and the responses we would make, you would think we're, we're going, like the earth was crashing around us. So I'm like that with food. If I have to fast, it does not go very well for the first little while because my body cracks it, my mind cracks it, all those things go on in my poor family uh, when, that, when, that, when that happens. Um, but they, there are acts, and a lot of them are actually called disciplines. We don't like that word very much these days, but this is really positive and good for you. Now, there's this little book here by Richard Foster. It's an absolute classic in Christian literature called Celebration of Discipline. If you can get a hold of this copy over the next little while, if you, if you want to dig into this word that the Lord has clearly told us about, I would encourage you to have a read of this book because it gives you options and things that you can do and be partnering with God in that will actually create space where you go without certain things or you give up certain things or you give time to other things where you don't do anything that just allows you to talk to God, rely on God, be Him, be your source and your provider. And I guarantee you when you do that, you will remember the goodness of God to you. So what are some of those things? Quickly. So like you can practice solitude. That is also a very, very hard one these days. If we are right in that we live in a consumeristic culture, then solitude is a very, very difficult place to live in. My most, one of my most favourite memories, see, you start giving space to it and the Lord starts reminding me, I'm remembering all these stories of his goodness to me now. I remember when uh, we were in the States and, and my, one of my greatest moments with the Lord was when we went up into Ansel Adams Wilderness in the USA. It's, it's in um, California, up in the high, high country of California. And um, we were all backpacking and they, uh, I was the leader on this one. So what they wanted to do is leave us for about 16 hours and it was overnight on our own. In the, uh, in the wilderness. Yes, there were bears there. Um, we took precautions for that. I was actually thinking about this last night going, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you might have been protecting us more than I know uh, and when we even did that. But I got this spot on the end of the line where there was nobody. I couldn't see or hear anybody near me. I knew they were about 50 metres away. They dropped me off. I had a Bible. I had a sleeping bag. And I think I had a, a cup to get some water with. That was it. That was it. No writing tools, no nothing. So um, 16 hours of just that. I went and found this spot right in the middle of a river. I could kind of hop, rock hop into the middle and there was this big open rock spans about as big as this in between this river. And I set out my sleeping bag and I spent the night with the Lord under the stars with no ability to do anything except read his word or listen to him. Greatest, one of the greatest moments of solitude in my life. Um, <clears throat> and what he said to me and what he revealed to me it was so personal in that time. It's one of those things that remains personal for us. That's something you can do. Fasting, study, um, celebration. That's a discipline to actually celebrate the good things in your life. And that will make space for you to remember the goodness of God. Confession. Do you know that's a, how powerful that is when we confess what's, what's happening and what we're struggling with? The, the room that we have, the goodness of God coming into us to bring forgiveness to us. Uh, and his grace upon our lives. There, there's so many you can do. Grab a hold of this book and I encourage you, um, if you want to grow in this, in this sense of the goodness of God and remembering the goodness of God, have a read of this book and practice some of these things. You don't even have to read them. If you know some of them, go look them up and how you can actually practice them. 
it will change your life if we do it. It did mine. Um, then there's one final thing that I think is amazing and, and that is, makes room for uh, remembering the goodness of God, not just for you individually, but as it happens corporately, telling your story. When we say we've got a story to tell and a life to live, it's not that we go, yes, it's not like when I inter- talk to my sons about their day, how was your day? Good. Did you do anything interesting? No. Was there a highlight? Uh, maybe. You, you know, that's not telling you, you. You have a story to tell and a life to live insinuates that there is good things going on and God is working in your life. Telling your story remembers the goodness of God to you, always to you. So I've asked these guys to build us a little model. That's an interesting model, Nikki. I'm looking forward to hearing about this one. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can get this video to work. Ash, I'm going to try and... I think it should work. Bo had told me it might work. I'm trusting... No, he's gone. He's run away. Let's see. Oh, yes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the video on so you guys can see the model from up there, Nikki. So you can leave it on the table because I can then um, talk to it. And what you can do, if you wanted to, that little grey thing here, do you want to use that as a pointer? So, um, so remember telling your story, remembering the goodness of God. So ladies first, Nikki, why don't you tell us, I'll get you the other microphone, about what you've built here and what it represents to you. Okay, well mine's, I'm not very creative, so. Mine is like a jigsaw puzzle. So if you look at it like that, it's meant to look like a jigsaw with all different, oh, hi Joseph. (laughs) Yes, it's still available. Anybody wants to buy a Fuji road bike, come see me after the service. (laughs) Sorry about that, everyone. <laughs> Not a part of Nikki's story. <laughs> Sorry, Nikki. So when you ask me about when you say about God's goodness in my life, the area I always come back to is the provision of work. So God's been very, very faithful and very kind to me in this area. Um, so my picture is a jigsaw puzzle, but it's made up of all different pieces and um, different heights and different um, colours and different shapes. And God's, I just. I guess had some stories going through in my head of uh, when I, I studied at uni as social worker and then I wanted to work with children and families, um, but nobody would give me a job. So I had to take a job as a youth worker at a homeless shelter, which I was like, oh no, <laughs> young people, scary. Um, and so I started working at a shelter and I was there for nine years and loved it. It was very hard, but really, really rewarding. So in the role of that, it was a crisis shelter. So we had to develop good rapport building skills to engage with people straight away because you could come in every shift and there'd be six different kids there. So, um, so that was something that you know, we had to develop as youth workers. And also um, in order to keep things going, um, because I'm nerdy, I started writing grant applications for the shelter so that um, we started to get some success with that. Um, And then I ran the Mercy Centre for seven years, so um, that was a completely different type of role in terms of um, 
understanding people and accepting their background and history and it was based here in Launton. So I got to know um, the area quite well and I got to know individuals in the area and different churches and people that would help others and sort of develop those relationships and things. Um, and now this year God um, led me to start working at Lawton State School and so they asked me to run a project this year, um, a student engagement project. So I work with families who don't, have, their children have a lot of absenteeism and things. And I guess this year I've really been aware of God, how, you know, you have experiences in life where they don't make sense sometimes and you think, well, what's the point of this or where is this going? And I've just seen a culmination this year of God's goodness in my life with the drawing together of a bunch of skills in the position I'm doing. So I'm working in Launton again, can't seem to get away from the place. Um, but my boss, the principal actually before I started the role said, Nikki, I, we just want you to work with people who have shame. And she actually used that word, which is not very government language. No, she not. said, um, you know, we've seen that you can connect with people well, which I see as a result of the work I did at the homeless shelter. But she said, we just want you to speak to people's shame in their life because that's a big reason as to why they don't send their kids to school for a whole bunch of um, circumstances. And I was quite like blown away that that's basically I was employed to um, help people out of their shame. And that was quite explicit yeah. when I met with her. And I was just celebrating that, you know, that's a lot of what I did in the Mercy Centre was meeting with people where they are. Um, and also because um, my knowledge of the area, it's been really fantastic. There's been lots of families with practical needs. And so I can just, you know, ring someone I know in the area and say, can you help with this? Can you provide that? Mm -hmm. um, but I guess I've seen God as well that I um, last year started writing grants as a small business. And um, that was just something that God planted a long time ago. And over time, like to me, I'm like, this is just something I have to do because... It's what you do when you run services that don't have very much money. But I can see God's plan weaving through that. Um, and so that's been cool. And then um, it's morphed into like professional writing. So I've got two clients I've been working with this year. One of them asked me, can you please help us write a resource to use in another state, um, specifically around school engagement with Indigenous children, and I guess I was like, oh, actually, it's what I'm doing as a job, so, which I've been, you know, rapidly learning about that kind of field and, and researching different organisations and how they conduct student engagement projects. So I was like, oh, I could actually do this. Like, yeah. God kind of had prepared that before me of um, this is something I legit can offer to rather than trying to scramble through it and um, bluff. So... <laughs> Sometimes I do. Um, and then I have another client who it's yeah, started working with them last year and what it's turned into is I'm advising their board and writing um, procedures and policies and things around starting a shelter, a residential program for um, young men, Indigenous men. So again, that was like 20 years ago of when I started working in residential work, which is a really highly specific kind of field. And now I've just had this person wander up across my path who is like, well, we're looking at starting a residential program. And again, I was like, oh, I know something about that. So, <laughs> yay. So I guess my thing is, is a jigsaw puzzle to go, um, you know, there's been experiences where, like, I was reluctant. I didn't want to work with young people. Um, but, you know, I was poor, so you've got to work. 
Um, but there's experience where God, I guess, um, it doesn't sometimes make sense at the time. Um, but it is part of a bigger kind of picture here. And, you know, some of these parts by themselves may not make sense, but when you put it all together, God's building the jigsaw. So for me, that's something I think, I don't know, God continually has to teach me because I'm a little bit stubborn and self-reliant. Um, Ashley's nodding his head. So, um, yeah, so God has to keep showing me of, you know, don't try and construe things in a way that you think is fit. Like, follow where he's leading and and lend yourself to his purposes as much as, you know, when they asked me to do the job at school, I was pretty nervous about taking it. Um, But I'm like, well, God's put this opportunity here, so let's see what can happen. So it's about being proactive and putting yourself in God's path, but also acknowledging his ideas are better than ours and just trusting that process. That's really great. Yeah, good. Okay. I'm interested... um, well, no, we won't do questions. Normally I would if I was facilitating this kind of thing at work. Um, but interestingly, oh, you should... Is Ash... Rep- could Ash be represented by... Who's, that's Dora, the explorers. <laughs> is he one of the big... No, we'll leave that, <laughs> that alone. That's fantastic, Nikki. I'm really interested to know um, how, how many of you as Nikki was talking started to think about your own story and moments. How many started to go, oh, i got a connection there. Oh, I can see how God's working in my life there. Yeah? Great. All right. We're, we're getting there. We're getting the point. Great. Let's go. Tell it. Wow. Okay. So this is a metaphor for a, a moment in my life. Am I pointer? A yes, metaphor for a moment in my life in 2003. So I became a Christian in 1997. Um, mocked my sister for years because she was a Christian. But uh, God always has a laugh, laugh, doesn't he? Which is fantastic. And I became a Christian. Yet, um, about 12 months later, I fell away because I discovered girls and beer at university. Um, and so I'm just going to describe a few things that will help us with the story. There is uh, a fence in the middle, as you can see. There is a, a gentleman on top of that fence with his chest puffed out proud, which is me, because I was full of pride, because I worshipped myself, basically. But you can see there's two sides of the fence. On this side, we have a, uh, a bunch of people around a nightclub. This is not a strip joint, by the way. This is just my friends, representative of my friends, uh, who all happen to be construction workers. Um, the cool car, the nightclubbing, the beach, the self-absorbed lifestyle. And then the other side, you have an oasis. You have a tree. You have calm. You have tranquility, which is obviously God and his kingdom. And you have me on the fence who wants to take the best of both worlds, doesn't he? So he wants to live in the world. He wants to chase girls. He wants to grow his career. He wants his ego massage. He wants to get an athletics career going. But every time something goes wrong, (gasps) jump over to God's side. Of course, that's what you do, don't you? Because God's a piñata that you whack. And when the goodies come out, you take them, don't you? So 2003, I moved down to Brisbane. And I was working as a boarding supervisor at Nudgee College. And I didn't go there, by the way. I just want to put that as a disclaimer. I only worked there. Um, and I was working there. I just couldn't land a job. And I, know, I knew why I couldn't land a job. is because God wasn't letting me. And one of the other supervisors there happened to be another Christian as well. And uh, I met with him one day and, and uh, I broke down. And he said, listen, you know, God is obviously not wanting you to get a job because he wants get things, you to get things right with him. And I knew that, but I just didn't know how to. So he prayed for me. And I went back to my room that, that afternoon. And I just remember sitting in my bed, and I just remember God speaking to me very clearly, very plainly, like God's, as God does. And he said to me, Craig, 
you've been on the fence for five years. You, it's time to make a decision. And then he said to me, he said, you either follow me or you put your Bible away and you never speak to me again. And it wasn't a threat. There was no maliciousness behind it. God is not a mean God. He's, he's a loving father. But he was, he was kind of like, make a decision, mate. Come on. Either you follow me or you don't. Like it says in, I think, in Revelation, either be cold or hot. Don't be lukewarm. You either be one or the other, you know. Commit to it. So I said, right, I'm, I'm not going to, this is stupid. I'm gonna, just going to follow God for the rest of my life. And so there it went. And God just grew me, shaped me, and changed me through various seasons. A lot of them very hard. But God broke me down to my essential parts. And he's like, right, I'm going to rebuild you now, bit by bit. And that hurt. And it took a long time. And um, a lot of that was done in London. So, I'm, so I felt God called me to London in 2006. Um, at the start of 2005, 12 months earlier, I, helped, I felt God say to me, Craig, you can go to London any time from now. And I thought, right, I'll go. And I had the attention of going there for a few months. But I found a church there. I met my wife there. And we got married and had kids and bought a house and had more kids. And over the years, we pushed the door to come back. But it never opened. But then last year, it did. So here we are. But it just showed that God, uh, we'd had several words from my wife and I, that God was a, a tr- uh, that London was a, a training ground. God was using God, London as a training ground, a proving ground for us. And that was it. But this, was, this here was a very distinct part of my life. I could either choose this forever and not talk to God again or choose this. And, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, this was definitely the, the right thing to do, you know. Um, it never, God's, God's, when you go on a journey with God, he never turns out the way you think it might. Um, you go, hang on, this is not the way it's meant to be, but it always turns out better, you know. And, you know, life's just one of those crazy things, just how it works out. But you think, okay, God, I'm walking with you. I've got virtually no control over things that happen in my life, but I know you do and I trust you and that's it. So, yeah, there you go. Thanks. Uh, yes, thanks, Craig. That, man, that is... Um, can you turn that one off? Just push the red button. Um, wow, you guys can, you know, it's up to you. I, I would actually, wouldn't, if you wouldn't mind, as we go into ministry time, if there are people that you're, once again, Craig's story, parts of it start resonating, it did for me, I'm sticking my hand up around some of that stuff, that story to tell and a life to live. And what I love about these guys, story, I didn't preempt them, they didn't ask him to come out, you know, the, the, the story, um, and the sense of hope, you're providing hope. Your story um, is filled with hope. Nikki has continually been doing that throughout the community, I know, and called to bring hope. You're, as, as followers of Jesus, our story is one of hope. Our story is one of things don't have to be the way they are, and there is a better way. There is a life you can live to its fullness. And I love Craig's the, the fence sitting, because when we forget... When we forget who God is and we forget his goodness to our life, we start trying to do things for our own way, in our own strength, and for our own glory and benefit. And we sit on the fence sometimes, don't we? You have a story to tell and a life to live to remember the goodness of God to your life. And live it. Live it. 
So I want to pray for us now, and then I'm going to open up the front here. There's opportunity uh, for you this morning. Uh, I'd love, Nikki and Craig, if you if something that they said really impacted you in terms of where you're at uh, with the Lord. And one of the things that was on the words of knowledge this morning to be praying for, if you're hungry for a, um, a father touch today, the Lord wants to uh, warm your heart. You've got a story to tell and a life to live. And maybe today you need to remember. You need to remember the goodness of God to you and he wants to come and meet you in that place. And maybe that's through what these guys said or it's another area. You can come forward and we would love to be praying for you on that. Could we all stand? I know it's a, that'd be good. We've been sitting for a little while. And I went over 20 minutes. But it's okay. So good. We're there. All right. Let's, uh, let's pray together. And as I start praying, if that's the case for you and Nikki and Craig's story really touched you and you are wanting a father touch, it's an area you're hungry for before the Lord and you need to remember his goodness to you this morning. Come on forward and we want, we want to start praying for We want to pray for you. Um, there's also some other healing um, uh, words of knowledge that we want.